Left. Right. This is the latest episode of Sip Talk. Today, we are talking about ways to avoid burglars, how to protect your home, how to reduce the likeliness your home will be broken into, and we will then go on to discuss the greatest burglars of all time, the greatest heists of all times. And these aren't simple home robberies. We're talking banks, museums, etc. You're going to like this one. Let me know what you think in the comments, and uh, I will see you on the other end. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. Cheers. 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 We are live. This is Sip Talk, episode 179. My name is Justin DiGiulio out of my basement in New Jersey, joined by James, the Bosnator Boswell out of Charleston, South Carolina. James is a philosopher, a professional referee, a bartender, and most exciting of all, an accountant. James, how are things hanging down there in sunny South Carolina? Oh, it was definitely sunny today. Um, hoping that we get... Uh, the, I'm, I'm sick of this cold weather, man. I'm ready for it to be hot again. But then talk to me in about two months, and I'll be complaining about it being <laughs> 95 with 95% humidity. Well, I find the weather is really an exciting topic to talk about on a regular basis. I do it most days, a few times a day when I'm stuck in the elevator or when I'm talking to the doorman. Yeah, like <laughs> so. when you talk to people, they say, "What? Are, what's a conversation topic that you wish people brought up more often? It's always the weather. Yeah, yeah, really. Man, what a nice day. What a lousy day. Well, it's a... <laughs> you know, like when it gets hotter down here, what's nice is that the bugs start to go away. Like I went for a bike ride on Saturday night, and when I came back, my visor was just like coated in a pallet of need those windshield wipers so look let me just let me uh, let me introduce a topic before we lose any potentially interested viewers and listeners so today we're talking about tips to prevent burglaries and we will follow that uh with some of the greatest heists of all of history so if you liked oceans 11 maybe a little too much uh this is your episode and if you are somebody who is terrified of home intrusion and you check your ring uh, doorbell camera 46 times a day or your puppy camera if you're rushed um, this is an episode for you I think this is going to be a cool one anything you want to get into before we get started um, no the heists are going to be unless you've got like a hundred million dollars worth of diamonds in your in your house I don't think you have to worry about these people striking you well, not the heist people, yeah, but the home intruders, the burglars, those are the ones that really concern me, and uh, and they should you if you live in a home. If you live between four walls, you got some windows and a front door or a garage door, this is uh, this is something to pay attention to. Hey, one so, of the benefits about being homeless, you don't have to worry about being burglarized. I watched a video from a homeless guy, not from a homeless guy, but I watched a video, it was actually from like the police department, some badge uh, camera footage. And they were talking to the guy, and uh, they say, "Hey, what happened, man?" They goes, "Oh, they stole my shopping cart," and uh, and that actually, you know, that kind of hit me in the heart. I was like, "Oh, damn! I feel really bad for this guy." Come to find out, though, the the reason for the video was the guy was autistic, 
and they actually found him on a missing persons report and his mother had been looking for him for three years and he was just out there lost and confused. So uh, that was an interesting one. Although it also appeared the guy did not seem to be on any illegal substances, which is not usually the case uh, that I find in New York City when it comes to the homeless. Yeah. If you have a mobile home, like like a tow truck would be a pretty good way to burglarize a home. <laughs> that took <laughs> that took me a second. But yeah, we're going to take the whole thing with us. Uh, if, if you're inside asleep, you know, wake up. Um, Man, right, so that would look. be a great prank. Someone has a mobile home, and, like you slip them some really powerful sleeping pills and then just like tow their house to like a different state and they wake up like, how... How in the hell did this happen? That that actually would be really funny, but you, they would need to be under some heavy, heavy sedatives. So look, I got a, a couple of, uh, couple of different parts here to the home invasion, the burglary prevention type uh, topic here. First is prevention. Second is ways that you can draw attention to burglars, uh, and then dealing with. Uh, what happens after you have a break-in, and then just some general tips. So I'm going to start Well, with, real quick, has yeah. any of this happened to you? Either Because like, we're going to talk about car break-ins as well, because those are kind of similar. Has, well, has either a home home burglary or like a car break-in happened to you? Well, you know, I, I drove a Jeep Wrangler uh, for many years that I didn't keep any doors or windows on the vehicle, so it just sat kind of at the top on the, on the top of it. Mm-hmm. And I had, you know, kind of irregular but but semi-frequent uh, people would kind of go through the car and just rip shit out of the glove box and rip shit out of the center console and just leave it everywhere. And, you know, those were back in the days when you could hit some tolls that were like 30 cents. Now the tolls are like fucking fourteen seventy-five, which is you're not carrying around a couple of quarters to get through any tolls in the New York City area. Uh, but they would take my change, and that always pissed me the fuck off that somebody would break into your car and steal eighty-five cents in in quarters and dimes, like that. Just so, and then and then leave your your car trashed. So that that always bothered me. Uh, in terms of the home break-ins, I don't really think so. Um, I do have a friend that happened to in high school. That was a that was a little scary. Who was that? Uh, I'll tell you off air. But uh, they left a, apparently they left a knife uh, stabbed into the desk of his father. So there was there was maybe some motive or vengeance behind it. But they never they never they couldn't they said they couldn't think of anybody uh, who would have done it, and they never mm. found the guy. So yeah, when I had the Miata, I had the same experience that you had with the Jeep. Where people like I always left it unlocked because I'd rather someone try the door and open it than want to get in and slash the soft top and now I've got to replace the soft top. Well, that was the thing is I had plastic windows on the Jeep, so and they zipped on and zipped off, which was the the you always saw Jeeps where somebody had slashed through the plastic windows, and that's how you know the thieves are really dumbasses because the windows fucking unzip. Yeah, so the Miata didn't have zip windows, so I was just like, if someone wants to break into this car, I'd rather make it easier for them, so that way I don't have to replace a soft top. And the only thing that was in the car was, like, a cigarette lighter, a tire iron, and the registration documents. And so one morning I came in, and the door was open, and, like, the registration documents were on the passenger seat, and I was ticked off for about 15 seconds, and I said, oh, I can just move on with my life, nothing happened. (laughs) <laughs> like, what am I calling yeah, the police it, to say, yeah, someone broke in my car, but they didn't steal anything. 
it can just the thing is it can really feel violating when something like that happens to you and uh and then you just get this kind of deep down like internal uneasy feeling where you just feel it's almost you know neither one has happened to me but from my understanding it's almost kind of like this feeling of rape like you've been raped but in a different way like it's just out of your control and somebody took advantage and and got over on you and uh yeah. no someone's no asking you did you ever sleep in the jeep i slept in the jeep many a time <laughs> that was a multi-purpose vehicle uh here on tiktok from uh, mamba of angle web it says our neighborhood leaving car keys and purse in the car whoops well yeah and that happens the, the car the car break-ins are, are tough so let me get into the home break-ins here uh, so in terms of prevention, I got a, a couple of bullet points here. Number one, and this is uh, pretty obvious, but make your home look occupied. So that's a big preventative thing. So if that means leaving the TV on or a radio on or having a car in the driveway or some lights on. Even uh, just leave like the floodlight outside your like driveway on. Yeah, as long as it's not aimed directly towards a neighbor's house because that would that would not be... No, you're doing your neighbor a favor because now their house looks occupied too. Yeah, but I mean, the thing is, if your if your house has got like all the lights off and it's like seven o'clock after the sun's gone down, it, it it's pretty clear like you're not home. So you know, in the summertime maybe that's eight p.m. The, the sun's going down, but all the lights are off in your house. People can tell you're not home. Number two, and this seems like an obvious one, is lock doors and windows. And, uh, you know, I can tell you I've opened uh, the kitchen window before and not locked it uh, and just left it for a couple of days. I walk back and I go, oh, that that lock is facing the other direction than the other the other ones there. It must be unlocked. Whoops. Sometimes you, you don't think of it. Um, but locked doors and, and, and windows because they're not burrowing in through the side of the wall. People are burglars are coming in through the designated entryways or through the windows. Yeah, although for most locks on, on home doors, the, the lock mechanism itself is relatively easy to pick. Um, with a couple hours of practice and the right tools, most people can learn how to pick a basic lock. I'm a real estate agent. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we've had issues where we've been locked out, and there's usually there's some simple ways to pop open some pretty basic locks. And, you know, as real estate agents, we're told to enter the residence. We're not breaking and entering. And, and also the goal isn't, you know, we're not breaking yeah. anything. But so, even yeah. like with just, just a to simple set of tools too. with like some picks and a turner, like a lot of people, if you spend a day or two practicing, you can open up a surprising amount of locks. Oh, I have the picks and the turner. It's actually, it belongs to Rosh. It's, uh, it's my garage with the... Uh, a bunch of door handles and, and some uh, some lock accessories. Uh, number three here is garage door. A uh, lot of uh, thieves come in through a garage door that's just unlocked, or the garage door is closed, but it's not it's not on the automatic garage door opener, so it can just be lifted and, and closed. And then also, and I have done this before, is leaving if you do have a uh, mechanical garage door opener, one with a motor on it. Uh, but you leave the garage door open in your car, and the car is unlocked. Yeah, thieves can get in that way, and that's uh, that's an oversight. I know because because I have done it. Um, yeah, and like I know at least on my garage door, there's a simple um, like metal latch that I can just push, 
and it latches into the frame of the house and mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what you're doing if you're not inside you can't unlatch it yeah that's a lot of people don't don't actually lock those and that is that's the mistake um and again this is kind of what makes your house look you know these are some red flags uh for criminals uh mail buildup especially if you have a you know if you if you have a mailbox big enough that it's not going to overflow but if you have one of those mailboxes that kind of attaches to the the wall near your front door and there's a whole bunch of mail kind of piled up and sticking out it's clear you haven't been home or you're lazy but it, it is an indicator that maybe you have not been home so mail buildup is one newspapers on the driveway um, and then especially if you're going for longer trips like longer term vacations unmowed lawns again it's about making your house look like it's lived in and occupied so if it looks like an easy target it will be more likely targeted um here's a good one uh and this is what i tell people all the time in new york city is uh to replace the locks when you move in that was like the first or second thing i did when i bought the house yeah in new york city that really uh that always gets me because you because there's I know that in the city we have, as real estate agents, we have what are called master keys. And it's basically one standard key that all of the landlords set their locks to. And I don't know if they have a quick set lock or something like that, but it's a key that works for sometimes hundreds of apartment doors. So uh, if, if you, and some landlords, I will tell you, they don't change them. And in New York City, usually uh, the deadbolt is on the tenant to replace. So the landlord doesn't replace that deadbolt lock. And you can get a deadbolt for like twenty bucks or less. Oh yeah, they're they're yeah. You don't have to you don't have to drop a ton of money, and you can get some some really cool ones. Probably not something you would be into, but uh, you can get the Bluetooth and the Wi-Fi ones that you can lock and unlock and check if they are locked when you're not there. Yeah, I don't like that idea at all. I think that. With a little bit of skill, you could probably bypass those without even having to use a key. Uh, yeah, you'd have to kind of know some like hacker-like skills, but I'm sure there are there are some ways into it. I guarantee you, there's applications out there that you can run on like your phone that would be able to kind of generate Bluetooth signals that just kind of kind of brute forcing one of those where it just it, it knows what the 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 range of Bluetooth signals are, and it just says, we'll try all of them. I imagine that since these are newer technologies, and, you know, we'll get there when we get into the heists, like uh, the kind of the newer something is, the easier it is to break into it, and and that these companies kind of learn through lived experience. So, uh, yeah, I I actually have a a garage door opener that uh, acts on Wi-Fi. That was pretty cool, actually. My mom came down for Easter and uh, she got here before I was home. So I was able to open the garage, let her in through the house that way. Uh, so that was, it was nice for her. Uh, no intruders that day. <laughs> but then also, you know, I, and because I'm cognizant of this, as my mom walked around the house and let herself out one door and in another door, and then we would leave, I'd have to say, Oh shit, I gotta, I gotta check these other doors that I don't, I don't typically use. You know, she'd step out out of the back, uh, out of the back of the house to smoke a cigarette, and then maybe we'd go somewhere in the afternoon. And before we left, I'd, I'd have to run around and check these doors that I don't typically check because I don't use them in the regular day-to-day, week-to-week 
life. So, you know, you have to stay on top of locking doors and windows. I think that's a really, really big one. Um, Yeah, we have, we got a rule in this house that whoever, if, if anybody leaves the house and there's nobody else home, they, that they have to check all the doors before they leave. I think that's just a good general rule to live by. Um, Because there's only like three of them. So I, I said replace locks when you move in, and then that was number six. Number seven was get a deadbolt um, because the other locks are easy to pop open. Dude, deadbolts are easy to pick too. Well, they're easy. They're easy to pick, but the push button locks or the regular the regular twist locks, those can be popped open really easy by just sliding a credit card or something soft but rigid enough uh, through that through the door, the crack between yeah. the door and the door frame. Those I, need really to, I need to send you a, a link to a video um, made by uh, a guy. His name is Deviant Alum, and his, he works as a physical um, penetration tester. So he gets contracted by companies to try and break into their buildings. Like and so, that. like, he's in, in his talk, he talks, yes, you can learn how to lockpick, but you have to be good at it and you have to be fast. Whereas a lot of the tricks that he uses are all these extremely simple tools and methods to get past some common security like devices. And a lot of them are just like, like little levers or like for the um, motion sensors or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like one of the things he does is he takes like a can of compressed air and just push, pushes the spigot through the top of the door and like sends a blast of cold air that creates a little cloud that trips it and then he's like we just open the door (laughs) so there's all sorts of tricks that people can do to get past locks and stuff just based on security flaws but but a deadbolt is still better than a regular lock both can be picked but it's way easier to pick a regular handle lock uh and then also on doors uh number eight sliding glass doors those are some of the flimsiest locks ever the ones in the and a lot of times they're controlled by a spring so if the spring may put it down into place, but it may not actually latch. And unless you, you try the door kind of both ways and make sure that that clasp is in place, the internal locking clasp, that door is not very well locked at all. And a lot of people will put like a broomstick or a piece of wood down underneath the door to keep it from sliding open. Still, uh, sliding doors are no, one of the number one doors that burglars will try first. Uh, and then also window locks. A lot of windows don't lock very securely, and uh, you know a lot of people don't lock their windows. Yeah, because so. if you're breaking into a house, you don't want to have to actually break anything to get in because that makes noise that can draw attention to you. So if you can just lift up the window, that's way quieter than the sound of shattering glass. Well, yeah, roughly 35% of people don't actually break anything when they enter. Most of them just enter through an unlocked uh, window or door. Um, and, the, you know, I, I actually sometimes I don't lock, like, some of the windows on the second floor. But then I also realize that we have a ladder laying down alongside the the barn outside the house. So <laughs> yeah. really easy, really easy to get in here. Um, windows. No, and this is number 10 of the prevention. Um, and I always thought this was a bit bullshit, but it's a it's a solid tip, actually is don't share your vacation on social media until it's over with. Uh, um, yeah, that's a really good idea. You know, I was recently in uh, Colorado, 
and I didn't I didn't kind of go spreading it ahead of time. And when I was in there, I didn't really draw attention. But you know, obviously, we had to do some. I had to do some stuff that was live out in Colorado. But I really try not to, when I go on vacation, to really post too much about it when I'm out there. To me, it just one. It it really seems kind of uh, braggadocious, and you know, uh, I, yeah, I try not to do it. Um, I got one more tip that's probably not on there. I got, so, a, I got a whole, um, only about a third of the way through the page. So what do you got? Oh, okay. I was going to say, so any of those home security companies like ADT or whatever, um, you don't have to pay for their services. You can just buy one of their signs <laughs> and stake that in your yard. That, that's actually a, a very good idea. It's not on my list. So, uh like they, me... the, the company's not going to be able to do anything about it. They don't have people patrolling around. Like, wait a sec, that that house isn't on our list. <laughs> no, it's just I actually when I lived in in Harlem, I had uh, in Harlem, I actually had some of the least crime I've ever had. I had a uh, motorcycle knocked over a bunch of times when I lived in Queens. Really good area in Queens, actually. Uh, I had my gas cap stolen in Queens. Um, in, on the Upper West Side, I had an attempted. A motorcycle theft where they actually cut the ignition wires and tried to bring the bike like I don't know two-thirds of a block down the block to like jump start it which you can because it's manual transmission um, but they attempted that and uh, I had my my taillight stolen in the Bronx but in Harlem never had any issues uh, however I did place a fake security camera with a little d battery in it that flashed red over the door to my harlem apartment yeah i've got one of those in my bathroom <laughs> uh yeah that's uh <clears throat> that is uh that's funny um do you really yes <laughs> um all right so here's here's my don't tempt list so you know don't advertise the items that could be stolen or your house to be stolen. So leaving your lawnmower visible, not a good idea. Um, leaving bikes outside on the front lawn, not a good idea. Same thing with your barbecue. You don't want, especially if it's an expensive barbecue, you know, grills can be very expensive. So uh, it's really easy to just pull up, load one of those onto a truck or something like that. Same thing with bikes and a lawnmower. Um, also, sheds and garages, especially if you have a separate separated garage, you want to make sure that you lock those. And on top of that, number three is having curtains on those sheds and on the garage windows because you don't want to make it easy for people to look in and see all the tools that you have and say, hey, I'm going to case this, this joint next Thursday. Um, let's see. <clears throat> and then outside. So... You said this early on, lights, motion sensor lights, super, super important. Um, and, and, you know, big floodlights, you know, right now I got, we, we have some outdoor motion sensor lights, but I actually want to put some on the outskirts of the, of the property facing inward. So if it's facing outwards, the trees might move and stuff, but it's just facing the, the grass and the green lawn. Uh, that way it'll only be, it won't bother any of the neighbors if it accidentally goes off and it will only light up if somebody or something is in the yard. Yeah. Like a deer. Yeah. Which, you know, that actually happens quite a bit out here, but, um, but the motion sensor lights are really good. And then, uh, trim overgrown shrubs, especially ones that are covering windows. 
because it makes it really easy for a burglar to get right up on top of the window and have total coverage. And since most burglars aren't super brazen, they usually just like, you know, they're less likely to put a ladder up against the side of the house and climb through a second floor window than they are to just try a window and if it's locked, try the next one. If it's locked, try the next one. Then maybe go around the back of the house. Right, but if you have think of a, a bit from Trigger Happy TV, have you ever seen that show? Well, hang on, just real quick. But if you have bushes, they can stay there for, for you know, a half hour trying to pick the uh, to pick the lock or whatever. Sorry, go ahead. So Trigger have you ever Happy seen TV. Trigger Happy TV? Uh, maybe a long time ago on one of those funny. It's like, TV things. Yeah, it's a British TV show that's all kind of candid pranks. Yeah, And so the the host of the show is dressed up like like the nineteenth century robber with like all black clothes and like black and white and he's carrying a ladder and he goes up to a house and he asks somebody passing by on the street hey do you mind holding this for me i need to get in <laughs> he was dressed like the hamburglar yes yeah like the hamburglar for mcdonald's <laughs> that's uh yeah that's... the person on the street holds the ladder for him while he climbs up he's like thank you and then he goes into the house and carries out a comically large bag of money <laughs> How, how did that how did those how did that burglar outfit come to signify burglar i don't I, oh dude i have no idea i mean i picture the hamburglar he's got like the ninja turtles kind of uh yeah yeah he's dressed up like that and then uh and then of course he's got uh the black and white striped like parolee uh outfit on yeah maybe what, that's that's probably what it is and that's um you, like, so that was a great show. Anyone that's listening, I recommend you watch it. You, um, as a quick aside, do you know why that show ended? Uh, no. Because it was all based on like him being in a character and pranking people and, not, and them not knowing who he was. The show got really popular and people started to recognize him on the street. And he yeah. couldn't pull off his bits anymore. That's a Sasha Baron Cohen. That's why he's always in, uh, in character and changing his characters. Uh, that's a good one, though. Uh, it's, that's, that's really funny. I do remember that that show. It was almost like a, a candid camera, but but more obnoxious. Uh, Very British like, humor, though, because they and, they have like people dressed up in giant animal costumes doing animal things in like public and just watching people's reactions. Yeah, there was less of like the un- awkward, uncomfortable situation with the big reveal. It was it was kind of the obnoxiously uncomfortable situation, but just watch or just. Or just completely absurd things. Well, that's happening. why I said obnoxiously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, abs- the absurdity was definitely a several notches higher than uh, candid camera. Uh, okay, so let's see. Uh, lights, trim your shrubs. Oh, this is a good one. I wonder if you know this about your house. The hinges to your doors, are they on the inside or the outside of the house? Um, I don't know, but if the hinges are facing outside, then you just need a screwdriver. Yeah, you just pop pop that hinge right open. So that's uh, I've seen many doors with the hinges on the outside, or the door handle. Here's a good one: the door handle has screws on the outside of it, so somebody can just remove the handle and then yeah, turn just the take mechanism. apart the door handle and then just push the latch, and you're in. Uh, it's it's it, that's that's not good. So yeah, screws and hinges on the outside is not good. Um, let's see, alarm. So like you said, get a system. If you don't want to buy the system, even just getting the a sign. sign, even just getting a sign. This home is protected by, and you could probably just buy it on eBay or Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist. I'm sure you could find it online. Um, 
buying the sign is actually still a deterrent. Um, and then the thing is, most people when they have, and this is crazy, most people who have the systems don't actually activate the systems on a regular basis because it is uh, an inconvenience. Yeah. So uh, activating those systems is a, is a big one. Let's see. So, look, if you have a break-in uh, and you, f you see that your house has been broken into, you should not enter the house. Many times they are still in there and they are spooked because you've come home, so they're hiding. That's when it can go into a dangerous territory for you. Um, the, uh, you should call the police from outside the home. Um, and, uh, you know, if you notice any suspicious characters or vans or vehicles, oftentimes people stake the place out in advance. Uh, and if you're, in a, if you're in a wealthy neighborhood, oftentimes they'll do it for a long enough time to learn your routines, uh, which means that you have to have some real high-value items in there. But many of them are just done on a whim. Uh, so, look, you know, if there's funny vans or something outside, uh, that could be a big one. And uh, also, ask your neighbors if they saw any funny activity. And then also, ask your neighbors if they have any ring doorbell cameras or any nest cameras or anything like that, uh, that they may have the footage of the actual break-in and not even know it. Uh, let's see. Uh, and uh, also you want to make sure that you get some type of renters or homeowners insurance that's going to cover theft because uh you know well and if you're going to do that the other thing that you need to do is you need to well document your things Ooh. that really? is coming up on my list keep it that's actually the next one keep an inventory of your things um and you probably don't need to count every single sock but anything that's valuable so, like, one thing I did over the last month is I cataloged all my Magic the Gathering cards. Okay. Like, they're all stored digitally right now. So, if they were to ever get stolen, I would have a very easy claim. And you can say, here's the list. Yeah. No, I think I think that's a that's a really good idea. We talked about with the fire episode, the house fire episode of knowing what is in your house and and basically what happens if there is a fire. So, how to, how to prepare for that. Um so yeah, make you know insurance policy may cover some of this stuff. Uh, so now, yeah, back to the tips. So you want to have an inventory of your things. Um, also, never keep a key under the doormat. I mean, this is dumb as fuck, and so many people do it under the fucking doormat. Come on, uh, or under a flower pot right outside of the door, or in one of those shitty-looking fake rocks. Come the fuck on. If you got a, if you got a, a frog outside that looks like yeah. it's a two-piece frog that shit's got a key in it this is the frog so, that so if you're going to hide a key outside for some reason where should you hide it because uh, I, I think that it's reasonable to hide a I, key outside at yeah, times i i would agree with you definitely not in the front of the house because that way anybody passing by can see somebody who might be taking that key like if it's you if you forgot your key you'll give away your spot mm -hmm. but i would say maybe distant from the house um Maybe like in your grill or um, in, let's see, in your car, having a spare key in your car. Not a bad idea. Well, we already talked about why that's a bad idea. Well, but it doesn't have to. So I used to have a magnetic key case that would stick underneath of your car for a spare car key, which actually came in hand quite a few times. Yeah, and then you hit a pothole sometime and... Well, it, was, it was in a pretty pretty secure place. But, yeah, you get that magnetic key holder and you could put it 
virtually anywhere. You can put it, you know, underneath of the grill, even, um, or nobody would be feeling around in kind of the slimy parts of the grill. But if you ever really needed that key, it, it would be super clutch to have. Uh, but the obvious places: flower pot, the the frog holder thing uh, under the 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 doorstep. Bad ideas. Maybe you know, give your neighbor the key if if anything. Uh, or leave a key in your office. Something, you know, just something that's not as obvious as under the, the doormat. Um, let's see more tips. Uh, cameras. And cameras are a, a double-edged sword because when you have cameras, you actually worry more about your home. Yeah, like, but if you have fake cameras. Well, that's then that's simply a deterrent, which is kind of what we're, kind of the topic of this. Um, lights having those motion sensor lights, having the big lights, keeping your front door lights on or any doorway lights on uh, all night long. So you don't want, you know, you want to have it on at 2 a.m. So that way if somebody does approach the door, they are visible uh, by the neighbors and from the street. Um, dogs. Dogs are big. Dogs are a big deterrent. Um, and then interior timers for lights. Uh, lights, even having a a radio uh, or a TV that goes on at odd hours, especially when you're not home. Think Home Alone where the, uh, the Kevin McAllister uh, throws the party to make it look like there's something going on in the house. Um, let's see. Uh, having a fence around your house actually helps. And then eliminating hiding spots like shrubs and bushes. Uh, I mentioned having the TV on. Also, having a car in the driveway is a big one. Uh, because really, you know, they're going to have to approach the house to see if anybody is home, and they're less likely to do Well, that. and a lot of people look at a house that has a car in the driveway and just immediately say that's not a good target. Yeah, it, without even, without even um, you know, double-checking. And if you have a couple of cars, uh, and you, maybe you drive one every day, like I leave the truck in the driveway uh, most of the week, moving it around a little bit or, you know, taking it and parking in a slightly different spot. If you have the space, not a, not a bad idea. Um, <clears throat> oh, I like the one that Raj just gave. He said, uh, you can leave your keys under your neighbor's fake rock and, uh, and your neighbor's keys under your fake rock. So now uh, both of your, now you, yeah, both your places are getting broken into. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. But that's, but the neighbors, I will tell you one thing about keys that I've learned working in a real estate office where we've had thousands and thousands of keys. If there's an unlabeled key, you're like, who the fuck knows what it's for? An unlabeled key is as good as garbage. And when I see them, most people have, you know, it's usually one key sitting in a pool of other keys. And uh, you never, you know, you, you find a key in the street. That's the thing. People say, oh, I lost my key in the street. I'm like, well, did it have your address on it? And they're like, no, but I think I should change the locks. I'm like, no. Who the fuck is going to know, trace, be able to trace that key back to you? Unless, of course, you did drop it at your, you know, in front of your house or something. Um, all right. So here's yeah, just, Even if you dropped it like a block away, you're, you're good. Yeah. Especially in New York City. <laughs> especially in New York City. Um so, look, here's just a couple of stats before we wrap the uh, tips to prevent burglary. And most of this is through uh, Firestone, Colorado. That The local government there had a lot of these tips. So most of this I pulled from here. Uh, these stats, most of them are from the 2020 safetyatlast.com report. Uh, so <clears throat> over, over 50% of burglaries are repeated in about six weeks. Which, to me, that was the biggest eye-opening of all the stats. 
um, because what that means is they're coming once, seeing how easy it was to get in, and then also they see everything else you have in your home. So like, oh, we're definitely coming back here. Yeah, so they might just like open the door, walk around, and like see if it's a good target, and then now that they've done their research, they can go and actually plan the hit. Yeah. Um, next one. The Charles Manson approach. <laughs> it's terrible. Sixty-five uh, percent of people know the burglar. So you know that's again why putting your vacation plans on social media are not the greatest idea. I solve that uh, problem by not having friends <laughs> or social media. Um, number three, uh, most break-ins take less than ten minutes, so the the burglars are in and out. Uh, let's see. Number four, eighty-eight percent of break-ins are to support a drug addiction. That was a that was another stat that I was like, wow, eighty-eight percent. Solve this problem by leaving the drugs in your house out in the open so that you can make their job like their work easier. Well, look, they'll steal know, the, the drugs way... first, and they won't steal the rest of the stuff. Or they'll just get high and pass the fuck out in your house. Um, well, that also works. One one relieving thing you could think of is if you do get robbed, it's most likely a drug addict, and it's not them that's robbing you. It's really the addiction. <laughs> also, gambling. <laughs> I, I read a story or heard a story about a guy in Vegas who had this crippling gambling addiction and got really, really good at breaking into businesses mm, and, and you know, just taking whatever cash was in the register or anything. And then, like, the next day he would go to a casino, gamble it all and lose, and then go rob another business. Actually, you know, the, the stat did say 88% to support addiction. They didn't say drugs. So... You know, maybe uh, I, I would assume that a gambling addiction does fall into that. It has uh, to, which is, which is really, uh, really a shame. But you could, you can, you can rest assured, and you can find some solace in the fact that it wasn't the person who robbed you; it was the addiction. <laughs> which, but at least with the gambling addiction, there's a chance that that like the next day you're going to be able to win it all back. Yeah, maybe they'll return that and and uh, and you know uh, some interest on that. Uh, let's see. Uh, two out of three robberies happen during the daytime, during work hours, actually. Um, and then the majority of them also happen in the summer. One thing I always thought about living, I mean, I don't so much now, but where we grew up is there was always snow on the ground. From mid-November, there was a good chance there was snow. But from January to March, three months out of the year, there was always snow on the ground. So for somebody to approach your house, they'd be leaving footprints. Yeah, but I don't know how useful those footprints would be for a criminal investigation because like, one of the things I was reading when um, doing research on this and kind of prompted by reading my own articles about how San Francisco apparently has a really bad problem with car break-ins. Mm. And like, if you get your car broken into, you, you, you'll call the police and the police will take a report. And that's the end of the story. Yeah, that's exactly. That's there's no there's no forensic data that's going into it. Yeah, it's very unlikely the police are coming by and fingerprinting unless and uh, so if there, it's a one-off robbery, the police are not coming by and fingerprinting. However, if it appears that there might be a string of robberies or maybe there was some violence involved, and the police believe it could be the same person as something else, there is a good chance they would dust for fingerprints. But if you had your laptop stolen 
don't expect CSI New York to, to come by and dust for fingerprints. All right, I'm going to give you my last stat here. And, that, and I gave this actually already, so that's why I'm just kind of throwing it away, is that one-third of burglars do not break and enter. They simply let themselves in. So don't be dumb. Lock your shit up. Get some cameras. Get some lights. Be smart. Don't leave the key out. Lock your windows, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, as formerly mentioned. So now we are on to part two of this episode. And if we run out of time on tonight's episode, we're going to wrap up in the after hours. You'll have to join us live on YouTube or Twitch uh, or Twitter. So, uh, But we will be off the Instagram live link if we run out of run out of time tonight but of course you can always catch the full episode by subscribing on your favorite audio podcast platform and you can watch the video version on youtube all right james you're up hit me with the greatest heists of all time starting back in 1866 we're gonna go from uh i'll let you i'll let you lead go ahead all right so uh yeah, these are all big-time heists, and what? so some of them are train robberies, but most of them are banks or, like, art museums or just museums that have super valuable stuff. Well, yeah. Um, and, so the and... first one is a train robbery, and according to this, prior to 1866, any train robbery that happened happened when the train was stopped, and it was just, like, robbing a building. But this one was done on a moving train, which was the first time it had been tried. Yeah, I like I like uh, I like that, but yeah, again, this is. Remember, I said uh, when we were talking about like new technology, you're talking about hacking kind of the Bluetooth. It is kind of you know trying novel approaches to to novel circumstances. Yeah, some of the ones involving banks um, are actually pretty interesting because of how much effort had to have gone into it. So you know, I did I did try to do some some research in, tr- in terms of finding some exciting home burglaries but i really couldn't find any so these heists yeah when i actually... searched all i could find up was like this kind of stuff of like but, but, planned but, heists and again like i said if you're a big if you liked oceans 11 a little too much this is this yeah. is right up your alley so the first one was uh and of course with the, the reno a bank, gang a bank heist you're taking a lot more money so what year was this 1866 all right so john reno sim reno and spank Frank Sparks. Oh, Frank Sparks. Frank, Try to say Frankie, that one fast. Frankie, Spanky, Frankie. Yeah, Frank Spanks boarded a a railway, and at the time, uh, like when people boarded a train, all the valuables would be locked in safes and watched by a railroad employee. So kind of like in a hotel where you've got a safe. So like in the the railroad had like one big safe that everybody would put their stuff in. Yeah, probably on one car that had an attended attended car. Yeah. Um, and so the, this employee called the messenger wasn't a Pinkerton or anyone special. Pinkerton, so Pinkerton I, I think, is like, like a detective or, or something along those yeah. lines. So it was a detective agency, I think. I yeah. Think. So the, the three robbers go and find the guy who has the keys and like pull a gun on him. And he only had the key to the smaller safe, which had like a lot less cash and valuables. Yeah, and so had a lot in it though like thirteen thousand dollars something like that eighteen thousand dollars in eighteen sixty six which i think was worth like three hundred thousand dollars yeah not a bad haul yeah but they they wanted to get the bigger safe and so what they tried to like they 
basically the the big safe was on wheels, so they just threw it out of the moving train, and then they like made the train take an emergency stop, and then like they got off they, the train and they, they tried to the open train. up the safe and weren't able to. Yeah, they sent the train on their way, but then they yeah. they couldn't stick around. They couldn't stick around the safe too long, so they they took off. Yeah, and so they did this like four or five more times. Eventually, got caught, and uh, yeah, they got hanged. That was the end of uh, Spanky Frankie. Yeah, the the pattern in this is that even these really well pl- planned heists, the people eventually get caught. Um, yeah, what a shame. So this what one's a shame. really interesting. Um, the Central Bank of Iraq. Yeah, this wasn't this wasn't too long ago. This was two thousand three. So the day before America started bombing Baghdad, um, Saddam Hussein sent a note to the Central Bank of Iraq. And it was for a mass deposit of like almost a billion dollars, and the bank tellers went along with it. Um, all it took was, and so there was no elaborate scheme to this one. So, th- like Saddam Hussein just basically said, "Just take all the money from the bank and throw it in the yeah. truck, right?" And so, yeah, three large trucks were loaded up with money and were driven away. Um, and so then like a billion dollars in cash. Yeah, and I think the the people that were driving the trucks were just like this isn't going to end well, like what happens in this country. So they all just kind of like split up the money and went away. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, most of that money, uh, they never recovered at all. No. Um, this one, this is a crazy amount of money, almost a billion dollars from uh, a museum. So the Dresden Castle in Germany, um, in the early hours of the morning, Thieves set fire at an electrical distribution point nearby, cutting the museum's power and turning the whole area dark. So this is a museum that had that had a surveillance system, though, right? Yeah, it had some kind of electric security, like security system. This was 2019, so yeah, they had to have had a pretty sophisticated set of security yeah, measures. This is this is two two to three years ago. Yeah. So they set fire to an electrical distribution point nearby to cut power to the entire museum. They smashed through a small corner window in the, um, near the jewelry collection. And wearing headlamps, they smashed the glass and stole all the jewels. And like they were in, in and out so fast that like the police didn't even make it to the museum by the time they left. They fled in the car, lit it on fire in an underground parking lot, and then probably got into a different getaway vehicle. And uh, four suspects have been arrested, but I don't think any of the stuff that was stolen was returned. Yeah. And that's actually a really good thing to know if you're ever planning on robbing a bank or something, is whatever getaway vehicle you use to get away from the immediate site of the robbery, have another vehicle <laughs> to get into afterwards. Oh, th- thank you for the great tips. They lit it on fire on, in like an underground garage or something, right? Yeah, that, well, that's also good. Destroy the evidence so that way there's no like fingerprints or any other evidence that the police can look to. And then you just get into a fresh car because I'm sure that like somebody was able to see that it was an in this case, an Audi A6, and there's going to be witnesses that be like, yeah, this is what the car looked like, and that's what the plates were. But, Audi A6 is what, like a $70,000 car? I don't know. It's in yeah. Germany, so it's probably cheaper. Well, yeah, but still, I mean, they, they weren't driving like a, uh, you know, a crappy car either. So these guys... Yeah, but whatever to... getaway car the police are going to be looking for, they're going to be looking for the one that you drove away from the bank. They're not going to be looking for the one that you swapped three miles away I yeah, no, brilliant. Thank you for the tips. Thank you for the tips. All right, so what's the next one here? The Hatton Garden Job. 
And this wasn't too too long ago either, right? Um, year 2015. Mm. Um, so the thieves used an elevator shaft to reach the basement where they forced open shutter doors and used a heavy drill to bore into the vault, which was six and a half feet of reinforced concrete. Yeah. I don't know how, how long could that have taken? I, I can, I would, I would guess 30 to 40 minutes, you know, cause you get that. You, uh, they must've needed a bunch of drill bits though, because those drill bits get really, really hot. And, like, and, they, and it's and one they, thing to drill they, a hole through six feet of concrete, but like that's one hole. How are you getting into it? You, like, how do you create a, a hole big enough for people to get in and like take things? Well, I, they must have been drilling into the locking mechanism, but I can tell you, trying to drill down like three to four inches, I've gone through some diamond tipped. I've gone through a few diamond tipped uh, 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 drill bits. Bits. And uh, I, yeah, I can only imagine going through six feet the size, and also not just the size, but the the drill that you would have to have. Well, I, I was mixing concrete with the drill. This is wet concrete, but it burnt out the motor for the drill. So you know, drilling into drilling into dry concrete with that. I would pressure. have to. Now I don't know anything about this, but if you had like a com- combustion engine powered drill. Maybe instead and of an electric motor, point, having having some water to to lubricate it and keep it cool. So what, yeah. so what happened? So they drill in through the six so foot door. The other thing that they did that I thought was cool is they used a like a mobile a two G mobile signal jammer to block the alarm signal from the vault. And and this and they went mine. through a whole bunch of safety deposit boxes. Uh, Twenty fifteen. So they went through a whole bunch okay. of safe deposit boxes, and looks like it was about nineteen million dollars worth that they took. And all the people that got caught were like between fifty and seventy years old. Oh yeah, this was the 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 Hatton, the Hatton Guard job, something like that. Yeah, Hatton Garden. No, no, Hatton Garden. Hatton Garden. Sorry, I have notes. Hatton Garden. And the guys were basically retirees. This was like their last, their last hurrah, which is which is a bit like half of the, the group from uh, Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Right, so the Hatton Guard. The Hatton. Yeah. Sorry, I was reading my writing on yeah. Hatton Guard. The Hatton Garden. So this is the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum theft. And this was in 1990, and it was about $500 million. So, yeah, so 19, I looked at the pictures of this, and it was weird because I saw some photos of, like, the detective or something, and my brain instantly went to, like, 1970s, 1980s because the, the image quality was color image, but the image quality just looked super dated, and, uh, and it was only 1990. Well, yeah, but 1990 was 32 years ago, dude. Exactly. In 1990, at this point, you kind of group into like 70s, 80s, 90s. Yeah, because in 1990, they didn't have any of the modern luxuries and and they didn't have – dude, there was no no internet, let alone Wi-Fi. There might have been like the most basic of internet back then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not – not – there was no email. Uh, I don't know. Not as we know it today. Oh, no, not at all. All right, so in this one, um, two men disguised as police officers get into the museum, and they, all right, hold on. The museum's guard on duty that night were two young men. One of them broke protocol and let the fake cops in through the employee entrance, believing that there had to have been a disturbance of some kind for the police to show up. Yes, a fake police entered. Yeah. So (laughs) while the, yeah. While the thieves surveyed the guards, they asked the guard who let them in if anybody else was in the museum. 
the guard called his uh, like his fellow guard over. Um, the thieves then told uh, the first guard to come behind the desk to prove his identity because they might have a warrant for his arrest. And yeah, it's come worth out, noting come that, out from like, behind the yeah, come out from behind the desk. Yeah. So it's worth noting the museum, despite having countless treasures and everything, only had a single panic button, and it was at the desk. Yeah. So they so they then they handcuffed the two guards yeah. like far enough away that they couldn't get to the desk, and now they're just free to rob as much as they wanted to in the museum. They were there for like almost an hour and a half, and they stole thirteen <laughs> works of art, a whole bunch of like, um, and like Rem- some Rembrandt, other vessels and yeah. like artifacts and. To yeah. this day, none of the pieces have been found. Now, I think that like stealing art, especially famous art, is a really poor choice because it's gonna be really hard to resell. Well, we're we will get there with a future heist where the the burglars were caught from trying to peddle the art at at basically one percent or le- I think it was one, less than one percent of the uh, of the actual value, which which is. You know, if you if you rob a Picasso, how do you market that? Because you're certainly not going to Facebook Marketplace and Craigslist. You know, it's it's uh, much more difficult. So you have to already have some ins. And I imagine that you know might be a smaller community, uh, very FBI ridden. So um, I like this one a lot because it's well thought out. Which so is this is the okay. Banco Central burglary. Is, so was this is this was this Brazil? Yes. In what year? Um, 2005. 2005. 2005. Okay, yeah. So this one's great. So the criminals set up a landscaping company in a commercial building close to the bank. And so they dug a tunnel from under the building that they were renting. Mm-hmm. And they just disposed of all the dirt right in the backyard of their commercial building because they're a landscaping company. So dirt piling up in a landscaping company is not going to raise any alarms. I, I could tell you from somebody who's done some excavating and some lawn work and stuff, I'll tell you about lawn work last weekend and the poison ivy uh, another time. But, oh, yeah, uh, I'll tell you about fire ants. <laughs> oh, nice. All right, but yeah, but but getting rid of soil is really tough. But if you're just shipping it away in trucks from a landscaping company, nobody's going to bat a fucking eye, and people will pay you to bring them the dirt. Yeah, so they've just got this big pile of dirt in in like like the yard next to their the, the rented building. Nobody cares because they're a landscaping company, and they dug a two hundred fifty foot long tunnel to underneath the bank vault, and oh, then a football field a football field sized tunnel. Yeah, and then all they needed to do was just like like drill through three and a half feet of steel feet, reinforced concrete. No big deal. <laughs> well, we know that can be done. Yeah, uh, but I and think so, that was the, was that that was the floor or something, or was it, yeah they was, went through uh, the floor because they're underneath the vault and okay. it was about probably seventy million dollars at at the time and only about seven million has been re- uh, recovered. Wow. Um, few people got arrested from it. They don't t- like in these stories they don't talk about how they found the people because that, that to me that's also interesting because like if you get away with it, how did you eventually get caught? Probably because you were spending money stupidly and drawing attention to yourself. Well, we get there in a, a another upcoming heist, right? Somebody who who spent some money on uh, a, a car, or something. I don't know. We'll get. Oh there. no, we got well. Th- this one. It, uh, so the Dunbar armed robbery is the largest cash robbery in American history. Nineteen million bucks in nineteen ninety seven. So, um, Alan and- Pace 
masterminded this one while he was working for Dunbar as a safety inspector. Which is so, Dunbar, Dunbar, they have those ar- those so, boxy armored trucks, right? Yeah, that do the cash deliveries around the city all day to, like, different banks. Every time I pass one of those fucking trucks in New York City, they're all over the place, by the way, in Manhattan. Every time I pass one of those trucks, and always the two back doors, when they're parked, always the two back doors are open. And I'm just thinking, like, let me just, you know, grab a sack. Just keep on walking. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. But I imagine it would not be that simple. That actually happened like a year or two ago. Actually, pre-coronavirus, some guy just saw an open truck, grabbed a sack, and it ended up having, you know, like 80 grand in it or something. And he walked on. It was heavy. But they caught him from facial recognition type cameras and and somebody turned him in. So So anyways, this guy's working for Dunbar. So he gets to learn all the different routes of the trucks. He gets to learn where the security cameras are. And like all the and, and he gets to build relationships with the other employees. So he plotted it out exactly where he needed to like step in the hallways to avoid the cameras to get to the vault. Since he worked for them, he had the codes to like get into the vault. And they also had access to the security tapes, so they just like took the VCR tapes because in nineteen ninety seven that was what was being used, so like there was no video of it. But he had a team too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he had other people helping him with it. But who? But but his team was his his like high school buddies or something, right? I think so. Dude, yeah, if five I, childhood if, friends. If I was gonna if I was gonna do some big heist, I w- I wouldn't reach out to my newest friends. I would reach out to my oldest friends. Yeah, but so uh, yeah, they just went into the vault and took like nineteen million dollars and put it in a U-Haul. And the only reason they got caught was that one of the robbers was trying to buy some real estate and he gave the real estate broker, he paid in, in cash, in was, actual yeah. cash, mm-hmm. and he gave the broker a stack of marked bills. Mm-hmm. And once they had him, that guy cracked and gave away the rest of the crew. But only about $5 million of the money was ever recovered. However, I can guarantee you that for like any of these robberies where it's just cash that is stolen, like that's insured. Yeah, from a company like that, yeah, as long, as long as they can account for it. But, yeah, yeah. the majority of the time. Uh, we're, just for the record, we are hitting the two-and-a-half-minute mark. If you guys are watching us live, you will be cut off if you're watching on Instagram. So you can follow us on uh, YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter, uh, and a little bit TikTok if you want. You just follow Justin DiGiulio, and you will see the live stream. You catch us live. And if you don't want to finish watching us and learning about the rest of these heists tonight, which there's about eight more, and they, and they actually, in ascending order, so they actually get better, these yeah. heists, uh, you can catch us live tonight on, on, on Twitter, Twitch, uh, and YouTube tonight. Or otherwise, subscribe to YouTube. You can catch all of the episodes, all 178 previous episodes, including this episode, which will be on later this week. Uh, or any audio podcast platform of your choosing. We're on every audio podcast platform, so we'd love to have you subscribe that way. James, uh, why don't you introduce this one, and then we'll close out this episode, and then we'll take a little break and hit, hit uh, the what happened. The last few. Robert. Yeah, so just the name, year, how much was stolen. Uh, this one was in 2004, and this is called the, the Northern Bank Robbery in Ireland. How much was stolen? Uh, $36 million. Wow. And is this U.S. dollars? Or, or what year was 25 it? $25.5 million 
British pounds, I guess. Oh, uh, yeah, Northern Ireland, then, yeah? Yep. Okay, yeah, so Northern Ireland, part of Britain. Uh, interesting. And that was, that's more than dollars. Pounds are definitely worth more than dollars, I think, even back then. So, yeah, 25.5 million pounds or th- almost 36 million bucks. All right, so uh, those of you watching us live, we're going to take a quick break, but we will be back to you shortly. Um, all right, I'm going to kill our live stream here. Thank you, Instagram. Adios. Oh, there's our theme music. We'll pause that there. All right, we are. We have nothing to worry about tonight on the time limit, so let's hit all of the following heists in as much detail as possible. This is part two of the podcast. We'll call it We've Drinking Too Much Sessions. I have. What are you drinking, by the way, down there? Uh, I'm back on the Bush Ice Train. Ooh, you, I see. I think I saw you have one sip. About uh, it's about ago. halfway done. Uh, Damn, I I've could had, probably I've get had myself four, a brandy later. I've had four glasses of scotch, and I'm halfway through a beer. So, <laughs> but sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I'll let you. Keep I tend to do my me. drinking a little bit later at night because I've still got some accounting work that I need to do, and it's tough for me to do that when I'm super fuzzy. Yeah, no, I I, I totally feel you on that. I was uh, up pretty late last night working i can't i can't get any i can't write when i uh when i've had a few drinks really difficult to to do the writing so i just i don't have that train of thoughts like doing long division i you know i can i can do it in my head stone cold sober but if i've had too much caffeine or anything to drink i don't have the bandwidth yeah and like with the counting a lot of times what i'll have to do is like i'll be looking at one number then have another number in my head and so I'm looking at one number and saying, hey, $1,000 here, does that make sense in terms of $10,000 over there? And so I'm not looking at both of the numbers. I've got one in front of me, one in my head. And doing that repeatedly while drinking is hard. Now, I, I, uh, I don't ever get upset or like have lash outs, but I did last night. I was doing some, some long math in my head, you know, like, like several uh different problems in my head and uh my girlfriend asked me a question and i said one second and then she just kind of i I don't think she heard me say one second so she repeated herself and then i was like (laughs) and she's like what did i do i didn't do i didn't mean i'm so sorry and and i was like well i you know I, i just had the i you know i was five six of the way through the problem and then i had all the numbers in my head and you asked me to think twice, and I just forgot it. So, my bad. Either way, let's uh, let's hit number eight: the Northern Bank robbery in Northern Ireland, two thousand four, where uh, in today's dollars, so this is pounds, twenty six and a half million pounds today, U.S. dollars, thirty seven million dollars, and this is, this is a bank robbery. Yeah. So this is an interesting take on it. So two groups of armed men stormed into the homes of two different employees of Northern Bank. Both the employees, Chris Ward and Kevin McMullen, were taken from their homes to the bank. Their families were held hostage, and the robbers told Ward and McMullen to continue to work as usual through the next day. The robbers kept in contact with the, the two employees of the bank by phone and had the two steal thirty like the, the 25 million pounds after the bank closed. 
and they forced uh, one of them to transport like a million pounds to them at a bus stop during work hours. That's going to so, be so tough to do, to be like being dictated. Now, bear in mind today, it's tough to use a cell phone when you're at work, especially in like a very corporate job in a bank. But back then when cell phones were way more novel, like you having to be on a cell phone during work, you're like, well, it's, it's my bet, I don't, I don't think that they were on the phone the entire day. My bet is that either they called them intermittently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm sure said, they were like, on the phone the whole day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it would have been really tough for the, the bank employees because you're like, you know that your family is at home being held hostage. And if you don't do what these guys say, you might not have a family next that, yeah, day. you're gonna do you're gonna do everything that they say. So nobody was ever charged in the crime, although two people were convicted of laundering some of the money stolen afterwards. Um, but the, the suspicion is that it was the IRA that kind of orchestrated this, which is not great for the reputation of the IRA. Not that it's, yeah, it it's had a really good reputation already, but... before. So, <laughs> uh, um, but like, so one of the bank employees actually is probably like the biggest victim of this because he was put on trial of, of on suspicion of being in on the job and it took him four years to clear his name. The bank, the, the this is the bank teller you said? One of the employees of the bank yeah, yeah, was yeah. actually like charged with crimes and put on trial because they thought that he was in on it. But that's the thing. Sometimes they just want somebody to point the finger at and, and get some justice. But, you know, yeah. it sounds like he did clear his name. So He did, but like, think about like, it took him four years to do that. And think about like your family was held hostage and you were forced to steal from your employer. And as a reward for this, you get accused, accused of committing the crime. Yeah, no, thank you. Fuck that. Um, all right, so this next one is the Nokus robbery in Norway. This was also in 2004. I feel like like the early 2000s were kind of like the golden age of bank robberies because we've had a lot of them. In yeah, like some of the big 2003, ones, 4, 5. Yeah. So this is the biggest one that ever happened in Norway. On Easter in 2004, 11 robbers armed to the teeth with military-grade body armor and automatic weapons stormed the Nokus cash-handling bank building. As a distraction, one of the robbers drove a truck to the nearest police station, set it on fire, and tossed tear gas like outside the main entrance. And they laid out spike strips where, like, for whatever like the the vehicle yard was, they laid spike strips there. While and while he's doing this to like distract the police, the other robbers entered the vault via side entrance, and and, and tried to break through a like a bulletproof glass window. And weren't able to do it with a battering ram, but we're able to do it with 120 rounds. <laughs> now, I, now I only imagine that if you were robbing a bank in Norway, you are that much more like just think of you know when you say Swiss clock, right, or Swiss watch, it's that much more fine tuned, that much more precise, right? So I imagine if you were robbing a bank in Norway, kind of that whole kind of Norwegian air, region. Uh, Sweden, Finland, uh, Norway, they're, they're all like, nobody's fucking around up there, right? Your, your taxes are like 80% or something crazy. Like you, you have to be fully dialed in when you're robbing a bank. So I imagine these guys had this precisely planned. Unlike a lot of the former, 
uh, heist that we talked about. These guys are like spot on, ready to go. And the fact that they couldn't get in with a battering ram, I can only imagine was like shocking. Shocking yeah. to them. Well, so anyways, they, they they finally are able to get in. They stuff the duffel bags full of cash and make their exit. But they get met by police outside the bank and like a gun battle ensued. One of the policemen, one policeman was killed and the criminals were able to escape. But apparently 13 people got caught and were charged and, and convicted, but the money was never recovered. <laughs> Which makes you think that they probably didn't have all of the people that were involved or maybe not the right people that were involved. So it was 50 or it's just that like you can. It's not that difficult to spend six million dollars quickly. Well, yeah, it was fifty-one million kroner, six million uh, U.S. dollars. Yeah. All right. So this next one, the Knightsbridge security deposit robbery. Knightsbridge this was, sounds like England, right? Yeah, it was. Okay. Eighty-seven. About mm. ninety-eight million dollars. So, Valerio Vice which is an Italian criminal if you couldn't figure it out from his name. <laughs> he was 32, and he was already wanted for 50 armed robberies. So this is this guy's lifestyle. 32-year-old dude. He's Italian living in England, right? Yeah. All right. So the heist was pretty simple. Like two well-dressed men with briefcases posed as potential clients looking to open an account with the safe deposit boxes. Conning their way inside, they produced handguns, which were hidden in their briefcases, and held up the manager and chained up two security guards. They then went through 113 of the 4,000 deposit boxes, hauling off millions in dollars it, like of whatever was in the deposit boxes, so jewelry, but, yeah, but they, they bonds. Con, they, yeah, they, they conned their way into, into the area. You know, they, they, I think they pulled up in a Ferrari Testarossa. Um, I didn't see that in here, but, like, the... Like, Vice left behind a bloody fr f uh, fingerprint, which led to his capture. Only 10 million pounds of the 60 million pounds stolen was ever recovered. Vice was given 22 years in prison, but was extradited to Italy, where he was seen strolling beachside cafes on his way to work at a publisher's office, visiting his flat, and then returning to jail at 10.30 every night. So you know what? Like, I would take yeah, that jail sentence. Dude, no fucking... Yeah, clearly. The... The guy basically had a free apartment, right? Yeah. <laughs> he had he, he had a, a a place to sleep every night at ten o'clock at night that was paid by taxpayers. And he had he was strolling the beaches. So if you look at the photos, which you, you can't unfortunately you can't see, you know, uh, in the podcast, it says top the black Ferrari Testarossa, which I was driving at the time of my arrest. I don't think that yeah, he was arrested for it. He wasn't arrested the day of the robbery. He was driving oh, okay. a Testarossa, uh, after, like uh, probably oh, bought okay. with all this stolen stuff. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. You're um, right. So he died in 2000. Um, he was shot by a police officer. Um, he had shot a cop in the leg with a 357 during his release from prison, and the policeman unloaded on him before Vijay could fire another shot. So like, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that's there's a way to go down it, and and that's your life. Because remember, he robbed. He had, he had how many uh, bank robberies in his past? When he armed robberies by 30, 50. 50. So I mean, that was a guy's life. If, if you're going to go down in line with your life, you want to be true to who you are. That is the way to go down. Uh, uh, Could have done so much better. Just like take your hundred million dollars and don't shoot anybody and live longer. 
<laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. Apparently, the guy kept a, a gun on him at all times. So, uh, all right. So let's. Uh, I'm just. I'm checking the TikTok right now. We're still live on TikTok. Let's hit this. Right. Uh, so this, this one is the one. Societe Generale heist. This was about a anywhere between 33 and 111 million. This was in 76. So this was a while ago. Um, so this was the the Societe Generale was a big bank, and the vault was pretty much impossible to get into from the outside with a large, thick, like steel layer and a complicated mechanism. Um, there were no windows in the vault, so what they did was they went to the sewer system below the vault and he had 20 men split into two in two teams and every night for two months using two tons of equipment they dug a tunnel and like burrowed to the bottom of the vault and like every night they would like cover up the hole that they made in the sewer ceiling so that way if like a sewer worker were to like come in they wouldn't see a hole in the sewer ceiling and raise any alarms and so they run into a bit of an obstacle on this one right um once once they finally dig through into the bank oh yeah they had to move an armored armoire so it would lay just right without flopping on its face and causing noise which probably would trigger an alarm yeah, so it sounds like it sounds like they must have dug up from underneath or from yeah. No, they they armoire. like you get the vault and they like there's a sewer and they dug from the sewer to the bottom of the vault. Yeah. Um, and they they and, rigged this up to to like lean it over without without dropping it from below, which is I I've been trying to picture how the hell they figured this out. What I like is that when they finally got into the vault, they welded the vault door from the inside. Oh, so smart, so smart, yeah. So nobody. The next day, they just came, tried the vault. They're like, "Oh, you, have you ever had a combination lock which you like tried so many times and got it wrong?" And you're like, "Fuck! I actually think I reset the combination." Because I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I know in the office, I spent like, I don't know, probably like three grand to uh, to get a new uh, pin pad push lock. We had these big tempered glass doors for the front of the office i spent a few thousand bucks to to basically have the magnetic lock replaced because i didn't know the code and there was no hardware from the former lock so i had this magnetic lock and i had a code to put into it I, you know it was whatever the code was it was i think it was the first four number from the address it's dumb right but uh what i did was i i entered it wrong a couple too many times one night and then I put like the master code in and I fucked that up. And then I basically reset the whole system, including the master code. And I had no way to enter that code anymore to get back into the office space. So what was the solution? The key. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yo, this is uh, why I'm against like all this automated stuff. The quick aside, I had to go to the dentist this morning. And when you go to the dentist, they take your blood pressure. Ooh, yeah. So they don't. So they don't actually like poke into your body, start you bleeding, and it starts squirting out of your mouth. I guess I don't know, but um, so she puts one of those like wrist cuffs on me, and it starts doing its thing. And the first time it re like registered like one ninety over like one forty five, <laughs> and I was like, I don't think that's right. She says, Well, we'll, we'll try it again because I looked and like my ro my watch gives me my heart rate. I'm like, my heart rate's sixty six right now. 
Oh yeah, um, yeah. So that, uh, and so she's like, that. she did it again, and it came out like one seventy over like one thirty, and I said that's still not right. And like, how about you do it yourself? So she got the actual like the old style way, where like they have like the little hand pump, and they put like the stethoscope on you, and they actually count. Mm-hmm. Which and is like, yeah. And she's like, yeah, it's one thirty over ninety. I said, yeah, that that I can believe, like slightly high, but not. You're about to have a heart attack. Well, that's technology, yeah. And, yeah. and I, I I learned how to do it, how to do that a while ago. It's very simple. It's very very simple to do. You basically just tighten it up, and then you wait for the pressure to push the blood through, and uh, and then you count the beats. So yeah, I told her this is why I don't trust technology, and it's a constant fight between me and my girlfriend because she's like, you need to get with the times. And I say I don't trust any of this crap. I've been writing her letters for so long. She has, she's asked me when I'm going to return her text. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so did, did you finish this, uh, the, the French bank heist or no? No, no, I, no. All right, you so, read it. Yeah. I'm gonna, I can hear you. I'm going to go grab some ice. Remember okay. So at, yeah, the thieves route. welded the vault door from the inside so that like the, the employees couldn't even discover the theft until like later. And so they eventually were able to like arrest the guy who, who organized the entire thing and while he was in the interrogation and said that he was going to like name other participants he was able to escape through a window and then live the rest of his life in hiding this is why this is number five yeah and he died 13 years later but like how old was he when he died 50 or something he was young yeah 57 but it was still like they robbed this was in 76 so he got 13 years to enjoy 30 to 100 million dollars. It's not bad. He died of cancer? Uh that's what they think. Well, you know, and then they and they didn't they drop Is this the guy they dropped his his body? Yeah, yeah, his body was left outside of his mother's house. Yeah, so, but you know what, for that amount of time, you know, they didn't know his mother must have been a proud lady. He was sending money home, living a good life, writing writing his mother letters saying, "Hey, you know, I'm doing I'm doing good." Yeah, never uh, mind how I got this. But they also spray-painted on the inside of the vault um, without weapons, hate, or violence. Oh, which I love. Which I love. They, they, they robbed the bank, and they left this message that, like, there was, you know, there was no real agenda. They were just kind of taking care of themselves and no violence, there's no hatred, there's no racism, there's no sexism, there's no anti-gay, you know, none of this crazy shit that's going on today. They just said, hey, we wanted some money. We took it. Yeah. And I, All right, I next it. one. The Wilcox train robbery, 1899. Yeah, so this is this is 30-something years after the the first one we talked about. Yeah, so this is 50000 bucks, which would be about $1.6 today. Um, so Grindstone Jones and his Union Pacific train were chugging along at 3 a.m. somewhere near Wilcox, Wyoming, when a red lantern appeared in the distance over the tracks. So Jones stops the train. Three masked men armed with revolvers stormed, like board, boarded the locomotive and ordered Jones and the other firemen out of the cab. Jones tried to resist and was hit, like, was, like, pistol whipped. Um, the robbers ordered the cab to be detached from the train and driven a mile down the line over a wooden bridge. After it cleared the bridge, the structure exploded, having been rigged with dynamite beforehand. That must have no. been a long ass fuse. No, no, no. They probably like 
they probably waited for the train, then they lit the fuse. Okay. So either way, so this wasn't the first. You know, we we talked about the first moving train robbery, which was roughly thirty years prior. But this is like a perfected, perfected yeah. version of a. So then, now that the train is like on the other side of tracks that have just been blown up, they've got as much time as they want. So they're trying to get into the messenger's cab, which held the vaults. Uh, but the messenger that was in, like, that was in charge of watching over the vault, shot back at them. So they blew it open with a stick of dynamite. Um, once they reached the cab, they used dynamite again to blow open the safe, which nearly destroyed the entire cab. And it says that they then rode off with whatever they could get their hands on. Um, a bounty of $3,000 was put on each of their heads for a total of $18,000. Um, so, let's see, 50000 is worth 1.6. So, 6% of 1.6. That's like $120,000 at least that was placed as a bounty on each well, one they, of these well, people. They said the train lost $50,000, yeah. all included the damage to the tracks, damage to the cars, the, 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 the yeah. fares they had to reimburse people for. But $50,000 back in 1904 was how much? 50,000, 1.6 mil. 1. So, yeah, it cost the, the train, uh, the Union Pacific train, 1.6 million today. Yeah. So it's believed that Butch Cassidy was, was part of the robbery, but apparently he didn't receive any share of the loot, so they're not really, the historians aren't really sure if he was actually a part of it. Um, the money wasn't recovered, but according to this, within 12 years of the robbery, every outlaw from this robbery was dead from some other thing. Well, no, they said they, they think Butch Cassidy did receive his share of the loot. But, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I, I misread. Yeah. Uh, but, but you know what I say to that? Hogwash. It's more hogwash. <laughs> All right, we got three All more. Right, next let's, one. I like this one. That's the last three biggest. This one these is. Are, hold up. We got to build these up. We got the three biggest heists in human history. And I think, I think this, uh, these ones are. Uh, pretty exciting i don't know if these are my favorite three of the whole of the whole list but these ones are these ones are pretty good and they span the last five so, decades one thing that rosh asks is like using dynamite to blow up the safes wouldn't that burn the money off too no because like these are explosives that they're not really creating a lot of flame so they're going to probably damage some of the stuff on the inside of the safe but it's not going to like set anything on fire all right, so this one is the United California Bank burglary in 1972 for about $30 million. And so I like this one because of the hist history behind it. So in 72, a group of criminals and safecrackers from Youngstown, Ohio, received a tip from Jimmy Hoffa that Nixon was storing $9 million in dirty campaign money in a bank in Laguna Niguel, California. The criminals hated Nixon and, of course, they wanted the money, so the seven men headed over to the bank. They cut a hole through the roof, bypassed an alarm, and dropped onto the concrete vault. From there, they drift hole, drilled holes into the vault and lined it with explosives, and then covered it with sacks of dirt to muffle the explosion. And that blew a hole straight through the vault. Um, and So, great, great plan. Great plan. They, uh, it's like a silencer so what, for their... What yeah. did them in? was the same group of people that did the that did this job hit another bank in Ohio um, like just before this one in California in the exact same way 
and that gave the FBI enough information to link the two, and they were able to like find the people that um, that committed the crime, and the the leader served like thirty years in prison for it. And there's a movie that was based on this. I've never Finding seen Finding Steve McQueen. I'm a big Steve McQueen fan. I've never I've never heard this movie. All right. What do we have next here? Next one. Number two. The National Museum robbery in Stockholm, Sweden, two thousand. Somewhere between thirty and fifty five million dollars was stolen. So a little bit before five o'clock in the evening in Stockholm, two cars exploded at two hotels near the National Museum, and at the same time, three men, one wearing, uh, one having a, a submachine gun on him, went into the museum's lobby. The, the museum was still open, so the man with the gun told the staff and the visitors to stay downstairs while the two men ran upstairs. The three men took off with three paintings, a Rembrandt self-portrait and two Renoirs. Um, police Which were on their way. The, hold up, just for the record, the Rembrandt self-portrait that's got to be worth a lot of money. Um, $42 million, apparently. But, I mean, imagine being an artist. And, and what did Rembrandt paint? Rembrandt painted, like, scenes or something, right? I think I think he was one of the Impressionists. Yeah, yeah. But, he, you know, the portrait was not his forte. So the fact that one of the most famous artists of all time... It's a fucking toothpaste named after the guy. Had a self-portrait. These guys sold, stole this self-portrait of them. And then the way they left was... Uh, was so they, pretty... they took the three paintings, and um, instead of using a car, they hopped in a boat. Mm. And they threw down nails in front of the museum, hoping to like pop a whole bunch of uh, police car tires. Yeah, I thought when you took me to the one in Norway, that's, that, I, I got these two confused. Yeah, so the problem with this heist that we already kind of talked about was what they stole was valuable, but not very liquid. Stealing paintings. That, that so, when, you ha- when you have a... F- so what, what was the value of the painting? You said $40 million, something like that? Forty. So, yeah, the, the Rembrandt alone, I think, was worth like $42 million. So when you have a $40 million painting, what are you going to do? Throw it up in your private bathroom, put it in your basement... Or you want to have it up and visible, and you want to kind of showboat a little bit. So paintings and, and art, especially the private collection, they are still pretty public. And, you know, at least public within certain networks. And, and there's a certain amount of exposure that comes with buying and selling these things. So how did they... So what happened? What happened? They stole, they stole, so, they stole it, they so motorboated it off. A month later, the police received ransom notes demanding a couple million dollars. Um, along with photographs of the paintings, but the museum what didn't didn't want to pay. Um, and by 2001, a few people had already been arrested. Um, in 2001, the police found one of the Renoirs in an unrelated drug raid. In 2005, an arrest of a Bulgarian crime syndicate in Los Angeles led to the discovery of another Rembrandt, um, as well as information on the last remaining one. The, the painting was recovered after the FBI posed as a buyer. The sellers were, were trying to sell a $42 million painting for just $100,000 because they couldn't find a buyer. Yeah, that is, and it, what's that, 2.5% of the actual value? About, yeah. Yeah, roughly. Yeah, wow, man. No, no, it's less. It's 0.25%. Because one, one million out of 42 million would be 2.5%. This is a tenth of that. Uh, oh, so this yeah. is like 
25 bips. Yeah, which is what that's the point is that selling artwork these these kind of one-offs even same thing with jewelry and, and diamonds really tough that the, well, the at least with talk- diamonds you can separate them uh, like if they're unless they're like kind of like the hope diamond or something that's like a recognizable diamond you can pry the diamonds off the jewelry melt the jewelry down for the gold and the gold has value yeah but a lot of the diamonds now have that gfei or there's some some weird number that that uh is laser imprinted on the diamonds at a microscopic level. Oh, I don't know. I'm not yeah. ever going to be buying diamonds. <laughs> All right, next one. Number All right, last two. one. This is number, the most... No, this o- the last one? Yeah, this is the last one, and this no, is the wait, most the Ocean's Eleven of all of them. The National Museum robbery. Yeah, this is an the... Italian man named Leonardo Nogar Bartolo. What's, what's it called? What's it called? And where the is it? The Antwerp Diamond Heist. It's in Belgium. Yes. Yeah, uh, 2003. Yeah. Leonardo Notaro Botolo, which, yeah, if you ever had to guess what nationality Irish, somebody is. Irish, right? Yeah, I was going to think Chinese. I don't know. Never know. Um, was the, the ringleader, and this, this one took a year and a half of planning. It began with Notaro Botolo posing as a diamond merchant so that he could surveil the, the diamond center about its main vault. And he was able to figure out that it had, like, heat sensors, Doppler radar, a seismic sensor, and a three-ton steel door housing a lock with 100 million possible combinations. So what they did was they snuck a small camera above the vault door so that they could spy on the combinations that the guards camera, used to open it. The camera it. was stuck into, like, a... Uh, what was the camera stuck in? It was, like, a fire uh, alarm or something like that? No, no, no. Uh, it, the camera would broadcast to a sensor that was hidden in a fire extinguisher. Uh, okay, okay. And so then they used hairspray on the thermal motion sensors in the vault um, to, to block the heat sensors and, and also the motion sensors. Oh, no, wait. The heat sensors were blinded by tape and styrofoam. And they also pla- practiced... It's a heat sensor, so it doesn't... Yeah. The, the tape and styrofoam, you're not going to see it going on to... No, because as long as you're the same temperature right. as the room, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but they all—he says that they practiced on a life-size replica of the vault de- designed by somebody that worked for the Diamond Center as an insider. Um, when it was all done, they had so like when they had so much stuff that they actually had to leave some of the stuff in the vault behind because they couldn't carry it all. But That's wow! So what, um, what was included with this stuff? I think it was just a crap load of diamonds. <sighs> But most of the diamonds weren't recovered. All the like, they they were all caught. But apparently, they were given pretty light sentences because they probably weren't primary to the 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 robbery. And also, no, I no, think... no. Like the Bar, Noto Bartolo and his gang of five people. So the guy who like orchestrated the entire thing was caught. But there, I don't know what light sentences mean. But yeah. Wow, and they said about all except for one man, but they didn't say it was uh, Notarbol- Notarbotolo. Notarbotolo. It wasn't him, it doesn't sound like. So no, they, no, he uh, got arrested. He was the one who like orchestrated the yeah, entire thing. Yeah, but it said except, all except for one man uh, were given relatively light sentences. And oh, that, yeah. That, so I, I figured they would have said, you know, it was the ringleader. It, you know, oh, okay. Um, 
but yeah, they they also said that the majority, yeah, like you said, uh, they didn't recover most of the diamonds. I wonder if there was a decent amount of the gold and and the other metals that were melted down, uh, because that typically comes hand in hand with diamonds, right? Yeah, like, but I would think like this is a diamond center, so I would imagine that they were probably selling mostly loose diamonds. You think? Ah, either way, you, you steal money. You steal bonds. You steal jewelry. Diamonds. Diamonds is a different level. Diamond is a is a stone. You know, diamond is diamond is serious, man. I don't know, just, just some serious James Bond shit. Yeah. As an aside, I think that spending money on diamonds is categorically stupid. Why are you spending money on a stone? Yeah, but they're not even rare stones. Like they're actually <laughs> pretty common. The only reason they're expensive is because effectively one company in the world controls like 99% of the supply. So they just like artific artificially restrict supply to drive price up. And why, there's been this 90 it? years long marketing campaign, like brainwashing people into thinking that buying diamonds is a symbol for love. Yep. I am victim and, uh, you know, I don't partake often, but I know. All yeah. This it. is a preview to a, a pending fight at some point in the future between me and a girlfriend because i look at it as if you can get like gold you get a gold ring with like a diamond in it or something like the gold's going to be whatever the market price of gold is but you can get like a cubic zirconium or like there's howlite i think is what it is but like there's other like non not diamond things that look just as good or better than diamonds that cost like one tenth the price and the only person that's ever going to know is her and a jeweler that takes a long time looking at it. No, no, you mean you and the jeweler that takes a, a, a short time looking at it. Well, I've already given away the game, so she's going to know too. Yeah, and then unfortunately <laughs> her. So that's... Uh, that's but it's like, why... Why? I, I just think like the whole three months... Well, I said two months salary. I was like, spending two months salary on a ring... It's just really stupid. Why would you do that? And she says, actually, it's three months. And I said, that's 50% worse. We had, um, we had like, this conversation with your family six years ago. Uh, I'm not going to revisit it, but this is the end of the day that we have to share with the podcast viewers and listeners. So let's uh, let's end on that note. I take it uh, you don't agree with my stance on this? Well, I think if you want to give some diamonds, it's probably best to rob a bank. I think that's your, you know, economically speaking for your personal financials, that is the best bet and the most return on investment. And since we know the Italian guy looked at his hotel room as just a place to sleep, you got to negotiate, you got to figure out how this motherfucker negotiated such a good deal for himself and uh, try to I'm do I'm betting he just paid off some Italian authorities in the justice system. It's very likely. Uh, on that note, though, this is the end of episode 179 of Sip Talk. James, thank you for coming. And we will see you all next time. Adios. Cheers. All right. That concludes this episode of Sip Talk. If you made it this far, you owe us a comment, a like, a subscription. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast, audio podcast platforms, YouTube. Just do it. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for coming. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.